0: Hey, everybody. Good afternoon. Welcome back into Mining Stock Daily. We're going to provide some market commentary today and just a nice uh, welcome back to our good friend Brian London over from over at the Gold Newsletter. Uh, he's also the host of the New Orleans Investment Conference, which sounds like is going to be a go this year in person down in, well, back down in New Orleans, Brian. So that's exciting news.
1: Yes, it is. It's ex- it's exciting news, a little nerve wracking. I think we're going to be fine in the U.S. Um, by then. You know, a, a big part of our business model it really makes it go are our, our exhibitors, the majority of whom come from Canada and they're running a bit behind in the vaccinations. But I think they'll be OK. And I think this is going to be a blockbuster event. It's going to be one of the first, if not the first big event in person. And I think it's going to be a, uh, you know, a welcome home week kind of a thing for the entire industry. Everybody's dying to get there and uh, and we're dying to have them, frankly. So it's yeah. going to be a lot of fun.
0: Uh, Brian, you and I have a lot of things we want to cover. So let's just hop right into it. I, I really kind of want to get your thoughts here about where we're at. Uh, you know, we maybe focus on the U.S. economy, but maybe on then maybe branch out on a global scale. Uh, since we haven't had you on the show for a while, I want to get your thoughts on things maybe what you're thinking about here is we have increased and continued stimulus that has hit the U.S. Uh, well, individual uh, individuals. Uh, we also have a, I don't know what it is, $2.5 trillion infrastructure package uh, that's being presented and being debated on here in the United States. Um, I guess more stimulus, more stimulus. Uh, we're seeing the ugly head of inflation continue to pop its head on around every corner. We got those data points in last week from CPI. Uh, we're seeing increased costs all around, supply shortages, uh, labor shortages, which is maybe a little bit bigger of an issue. Uh, but really, what you know, as you, we continue to see this kind of unfold, what are some things that you are thinking about and uh, studying uh, from where you sit?
1: Well, I think the stimulus spending is going to have an important impact. If you remember the post-2008 great financial crisis, the policy response was largely to protect Wall Street and the banking system. So all of that, or the vast majority of that stimulus and that spending was kept within Wall Street, within the financial system, and thus it bid up financial assets, which was the goal of the Federal Reserve back then. This time around, much of the spending is aimed directly at Main Street as opposed to Wall Street. So it's really going directly. uh, I mean, it is adrenaline injected directly into the veins of the economy, deposited in bank accounts. And in fact, I'm I'm not sure I haven't been able to verify this, but I saw someone on Twitter say that their ex-wife had gotten uh, her stimulus check as a prepaid visa card. So in effect, it is almost impossible or you have to jump through a lot of hoops to actually deposit in a, deposit that, those funds in a savings account, but you sure can go out and spend it real quickly. So what's happening is the, they're trying to boost consumerism, consumer spending, et cetera, with the stimulus checks. I think that's going to be largely effective and contribute to the rebound in demand. For a lot of commodities and assets and things across the board, and combined with a lot of supply disruptions to create significant price pressures, the infrastructure is a throwaway. That's just uh, wasted money. Uh, worse than wasted, I think it actually would probably do more harm than good. Very little of it was is real stimulus. Um, somewhere between 10 to 25 percent of it could even be broadly defined as stimulus spending, I mean, as infrastructure spending. And even then the government's going to misuse it and waste it, and it's going to be spread over 10 years. So I don't see a lot of impact from that, other than what it does to the federal debt and, in, in, you know, exacerbating that already dangerous and, and uh, out-of-control situation.
0: Uh, I had a conversation with mutual friend Kai Hoffman yesterday on his show, and I... I had referenced a conversation that I listened to with Luke Grohman, who I know you are familiar with. And Luke was asked, what's the best case scenario? You just mentioned the debt to GDP. It's like 134% or something. It's just unreal. Yeah. He was asked, what's the best case scenario? He's like, granted, if we don't have a Hoover type Grapes of Wrath situation on our plates and we can bring that down to 60%, that would be a win. So a win is literally just mitigating how bad it is. It's not fixing it. Yeah. It's just making not making it as bad.
1: Uh, that's true. And they'll never it'll never get down to 60%. It's it's over 130% as you mentioned right now. It was pegged at around 103 to 105% for many years. And I track that number very closely. Now keep in mind that 60% to 70% level used to be the red flag that uh, the IMF and the World Bank and everybody else would use as a sign that a, a nation's economy was approaching Banana Republic status. Mm-hmm. And uh, we shot right through that years ago. Importantly, people need to look at that because carefully because a lot of uh, people use the, uh, the, the debt owned by the public and not the gross federal debt to determine that. Uh, and in fact, it, the number is, I, I guess now probably in the high 70s to 80s, uh, if you use debt held by the public instead of gross federal debt. My argument has always been that you need to add that extra $6 trillion or so that's owned by the government agencies, the federal debt owned by the government agencies, because the government agencies that own that debt are things like Social Security Administration, Um, and the like where you entitlements that you can't forgive you can't just fight that off the books you're going to have to pay that back so um so using those gross federal debt numbers yeah it's about 130 percent and um and there's no stopping that train frankly
0: yeah Uh, we mentioned the inflation aspect of this whole thing it continues to pop up we saw uh obviously uh Kind of jolting numbers last week from the CPI numbers, but those were too were as expected. On the other half of the, the other part of this, Brian, we're also hearing six percent growth, uh, running pretty hot. Is there a danger for this economy to run too hot?
1: Uh, at this point, because we're coming off of lows, uh, not really. I think we're we're just trying to fight back to get back where we were. Uh, too hot, the danger always from running too hot is that you're going to spark inflation. I think that's coming regardless, as you can see from producer price index, from a lot of commodities right now. Um, there are supply disruptions in a lot of commodities, but there's also growing demand, not just coming from low levels, uh, but there's par- there are powerful demand factors. If you look at lumber, that's a primary case uh, in point. We have growing demand, a big remodeling surge during the pandemic, uh, a big surge in home construction as a result of all the, the easy money, running smack dab into a supply disruption with so many mills having having gone uh, out of business. So that combines to lumber prices tripling. We see copper uh, is is taking off around the world. I think that's a long-term play, multi-year play, and, and it's a, really a... Uh, A source of a lot of opportunity, I think, for people in the mining sector.
0: Uh, $15,000 per ton price target. Goldman Sachs put on copper by 2030. Uh, I kind of read that and almost thought it, you know, maybe the... I was wondering if it was a little too conservative, to be honest with you. It's Not as far as price, but as far as time frame, Um, given how much... People are building and want to buy these technologies and 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 expedite uh, the electrification of the world. It it, you know it's it almost seemed like nine years time. You know I think we might be able to get there sooner. We met
1: because it's going to take much higher prices to bring more copper out of the ground, and you know still you're fighting time. You know copper of of all the metals, you're talking about mega projects, big porphyries that take years and years to even, you know, get into the pipeline toward production, much less get to production. So um, it's going to take extraordinarily high prices to get the market to do extraordinary things to bring more copper to the market.
0: And that is a good leeway to another conversation. When we talk about the lack of, you know, big copper projects with massive capex, uh, we are starting to see signs because of inflation that, you know, the miners and mine builders are not immune to inflation. Things are getting more expensive. We've had conversations here on this podcast within the last couple of days of people going in, trying to build projects and realizing that their original estimation doesn't meet the criteria of what the costs are now because things like iron you know steel are more expensive my thought is if as an investor and speculator into the resources if you're looking at a project that has potential to be built and needs to be financed but that technical report was maybe published even if it was republished published as early as 6 months ago it's almost obsolete because things are more expensive now
1: yeah, it's something you you really have to watch out for. It's something the uh, commercial banks, the financiers, really need to to watch. And and if you're an investor who, um, has, and, and retail investors, average Joes like you and me. Not saying you're an average Joe. You're probably an above average Joe, I would say. But anyway, <laughs> it's it's functionally impossible for us to dig down into those. Um, uh, uh, feasibility studies and figure out where they went wrong on a lot of these estimations. So you want to look for really reputable lenders that have signed off on that and maybe give it some uh, validation, Um, groups that maybe don't get as crazy as they have in past cycles. The other thing to think about is, it's not just projects in development and how the cost of materials are rising, but operating costs go up. If you remember in that surge in gold from 2009 to uh, to 2011, when the price of gold essentially or close to tripled over that time frame, from the depths of the post 2008 crisis to the peak in 2011, the the big miners didn't really uh, leverage gold that much. Um, part of the reason why is because energy prices were soaring back then, and it took. Uh, a lot more money, a lot more operating costs to keep those big yellow trucks moving. So their margins, they had actual margin compression even as the price of gold was soaring. So uh, they didn't participate or offer the kind of leverage that they usually do. So just goes to show you that while a lot of the principles in this game remain the same, every situation is different and no one would have expected the big miners to underperform in a short period when the price of gold rose so quickly. Price pressures will affect uh, development costs and operating costs.
0: Keeping with the topic of the major miners here, Brian, what what is your expectations as we continue to see more quarterly production numbers to, starting to hit the tape? Uh, it, I think that's that's kind of bullish case scenario is well. The big miners are printing cash, hand over fist. Their margins are great. Seventeen hundred dollar gold. They continue to be even more profitable. Than almost any time since that, you know, 2011, um, where there were mistakes made. Do you uh, continue to support this case, or do you are you seeing any um, maybe challenges or concerns that could hit the tape uh, that investors are not watching or not paying attention to?
1: Uh, not so much challenges. I'm concerned that the broader markets haven't appreciated how profitable these big miners have and, and bid up their prices. You know commensurate with the kind of margins that they they have right now. I've long believed over the, well, really over the last year or so that eventually these earnings are going to hit the uh, you know the bottom line, and the market will have to recognize those earnings, but they haven't yet. I, I still have some hope that they will. I think that the miners, when we get to a bit more positive sentiment from the generalists a more positive view toward the metals and the miners that, that will see uh, them make up for lost time. And they represent extraordinary value right now. So I hope that will be the case. The other thing that could happen from all of this is they've got an awful lot of cash jingling around in their pockets right now. And as we know from history, when that happens, they tend to go out and start spending on juniors, on resource projects, et cetera. They will probably be a little more uh, circumspect and I guess have already proven to be a bit more in this situation than they have in past cycles. But eventually the the dam is going to break and we're going to see more M&A and hopefully some bidding wars for us, the projects, the UI and your listeners own right now.
0: Uh, I I did want to get some final thoughts from an idea that I have been kind of wrestling with in the back of my own head, and this is on the idea of a commodity supercycle. Uh, do you feel that we are in the early early stages of this commodity supercycle? And then the second part of that is, if we are, and thinking back to the supercycle of the two thousands, you know, 10, 15 years ago. When it was really on the backs of China being a big buyer all around, uh, do we still have China? And can we now expand that to, say, the rest of the developed world also being big buyers now that we're seeing infrastructure packages being proposed by the U.S. government and the federal administration? We keep hearing these terms from uh, uh, the European Union about, you know, build back better, taking a line item from uh, President Joe Biden. I mean, do you think that if this supercycle does have legs, it could actually be much larger than it was 15 years ago?
1: Yeah, absolutely. And I think you make a great point, um, observing that it's not just China right now, but it's everywhere. We always had the, the electrification of third world countries as being a big driver for copper. We had, as you mentioned, in the early 2000s. Um, the, China being the big driver. Well, China's already back. Uh, I just saw where they imported a record amount of copper. I don't know whether it was the previous week or the previous month, but they are at record run rates for copper imports right now. So copper or China is going to be back uh, as big as they ever were, were in the early 2000s. I think this whole electrification of transportation uh, mega theme is huge. I think it's going to be huge for copper. A lot of other things as well, rare earths, obviously, lithium, obviously. But copper is the one thing that makes everything go. That crosses all of these different sectors. And uh, and as we know, there are supply constraints right now. There's been decades of underinvestment in uh, from the big copper producers, and now it's hitting a wall of a growing wall tsunami of demand coming. Down the road, so there will be, um, you know, anything can happen at this point. I do think that's a great point you make. That it's not just China, and China's big and it's the elephant in the room. But if you add up all of the other countries and this this mega trend that's affecting the world over, we're going to see much more demand than we've ever seen, and it's going to continue to grow.
0: Uh, I've hardly even asked you about gold, Brian. Are you a little bit more bullish on gold than you were, say? Three months ago? Because you you did think it had much room to run up three months ago, and uh, my friend, you were right. Yeah, I,
1: you know, the first couple of days of this year were really uh, great, and then it sure got (laughs) pretty quickly, didn't it? You know, thinking back on that, Trevor, I think that, that run that we had up to August was just so precipitous, so steep. Um, and the fundamental background drop was so powerful with all of the spending and, and easy money and unlimited quantitative easing. Um, it was so supportive of the story for gold that it gold needed a a correction of that degree and that duration that we saw to wipe out that enthusiasm and exhaust the sellers. Now it, it. Very, fairly quickly wiped out the generalists, got them out of the market. But it's the gold bugs, people like you and me and our friends that were hadn't yet given up the ghost. And over the last month or so, I've seen the gold bugs that I've talked to um, have been really depressed. They haven't sold out of the market, but they sure didn't think that gold was going to go anywhere soon. And I think that's where we needed to get. And I think we got there. Right now, there's still an air uh, an air of pessimism in the market from us who are, you know, the, the real diehard gold bulls. And I think that's a fertile ground for a new rally in gold. Nobody's expecting it right now. It's like Monty Python and the Spanish Inquisition. You know, nobody expects the Spanish Inquisition. <laughs> nobody expects a gold rally right now. And that might be exactly why we get it. Slow and steady. Slow and steady, or maybe not, because nobody expects it, anything but slow but steady or grinding sideways for a while. So, you know, it could surprise us. That's what it
0: does. Well, either way, uh, you don't need $2,000 gold. We just mentioned the, the miners are profitable, very profitable, the way yeah. they are right now at north of $1,700. Um, and hopefully, one day the general market does wake up and, and see the valley behind a lot of these stocks, Brian. But uh, we will have reason to celebrate once that day does happen. Won't we?
1: Yes, we will. And hopefully, it won't be a day. Hopefully, hopefully it'll be about seven, eight, nine, ten 10 years like the last one.
0: <laughs> there you go. There you go. Celebrate All right. Every day. Uh, <laughs> thanks, Brian. I appreciate your time as always. Good to talk to you, buddy. Have yourself a great rest of your day. I know it's busy. Great talking with you, Trevor. Anytime. Thank you. Mining Stock Daily and its affiliates are not responsible for any loss arising from any investment decision in connection with the material presented herein. Please do your own research or speak with a licensed financial representative before making any investment decision.